All right. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to Chopping It Up with P. Scott. I'm Prescott Kelly. Today is Wednesday, March 22nd. Glad to have you back with us. Main talking points today, Houston Texans are making some moves. Want to talk some Texan football, give you my opinions on the moves they've made, what I see as far as their future is concerned. Along with the World Baseball Classic, I unfortunately didn't watch any of it, which actually kind of bums me out now that I know what the ending was and how much this thing was hyped up. But I have a backstory as to why I didn't watch it. Well, it's not really a backstory of that. It's the reason why I just haven't watched baseball much. And this might actually be the thing that helps save it. And I don't want to be hyperbolic and be the person who says the World Baseball Classic, now that we have this finish, is the reason why baseball is going to be saved. Because I don't know if that's entirely true. There was a time where baseball was the most important sport that we had in America. Football has completely destroyed that. And I don't know if any sport will ever be able to kind of overtake professional football. It might, but I I highly doubt it. For me, little story time, I used to love baseball. Uh, When I was a kid, I played a lot of baseball. I played every sport that I could, that I could basically, except for football. Now I played football, you know, I played catch, you know, you play with your buddies, you play at recess, stuff like that. But that was the only sport growing up that I wasn't allowed to play. I was not a big kid. Like I'm 6'3", 215, 220 now. But at the time, I was so skinny that I made Kevin Durant look like Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, that's how thin your boy was. And the only way that I was allowed to play football, if I even decided that I wanted to, was I had to play kicker. My mom was like, no, you can play kicker or punter, and that's it. At the time, I'm going, man, nobody wants to be the kicker. Nobody wants to do that. Like, I already kind of, I got kind of picked on in school. I was in that weird tweener group, right? Like, I played, I played the sports, so I was friends with enough jocks where I didn't get picked on as much as I probably should have given just the way that I looked, but I was also, I fit the mold of other nerds. And so I still got picked on by some people, but I was in that other class of, I kind of fit in with everybody. So, but at the time, you know, you're thinking, I don't want to be the the kicker, man. I'm going to make even more fun of now looking back, I probably should have taken her advice because I was so good at soccer and I was kicking like 50, 55 yard field goals when I was a junior in high school that I had, if I would have done that, I don't know. Maybe I would have gotten a scholarship somewhere. It's hard for it's hard for anybody in Alaska to get a scholarship. To, excuse me. It's hard for anybody in Alaska to get a scholarship to do anything when it comes to college sports. There's only a handful of us that have actually gone and done anything at the professional level. Anyways, like Mark Schlereth was from Chukiak High School. Mario Chalmers, uh, Carlos Boozer, and Trajan Lane. Like that's really the only probably four guys I can think of off the top of my head who like legitimately had professional careers who went to high school in Alaska, but I'm rambling. But anyways, so I played baseball. I played shortstop and second base for the most part, played some right field too. But, and I was, I loved baseball. I was a big, I was a big fan of the Yankees back in the day. Cause that was my team name for like four of the five years I played, but my favorite player was Griffey. I think that that, that seems to be the answer for a lot of kids who were in my age group, right? That, that mid to late, mid thirties, early forties ish. Um, Griffey was the dude with the hat backwards and the dope cleats and the earring and the chain and that beautiful swing. Like if you are in my age group and my demographic, you loved baseball mostly because of Ken Griffey jr. And those Mariners teams were a lot of fun to watch too, right? With Edgar and Tino and the big unit, which is like the greatest somewhat inappropriate nickname ever. I would imagine when it comes to sports, but those things were a lot of fun to watch. So I love baseball back in the day. And one of the things that I preach on this show is that, you know, you're allowed to grow 
and get out of what whatever you were taught as a kid, right? Like we see this a lot nowadays where this is the way we've always done it. Why change it? Or if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Or we just get stuck in this mentality of if it's how we were growing up, that's how we're supposed to stay with things, right? So for me, when the steroid era came around, like I, I we call it the era, but you know, it was really, it's, it's the home run race. That's the line, the sand, that's the line of demarcation of when I started to stop follow baseball because it was always, you know, steroids are wrong, cheating is wrong. And I'm not saying that cheating is right, obviously, but it's just because of the way that when you're a young kid and you're taught what's important in the way to win, sometimes you take that to an extreme. That's kind of what I did. I was like, oh, Bonds, McGuire, and Sosa ruined baseball. And that was the excuse that I used when I was a teenager, when when this was happening and I stopped watching baseball and then you get a little bit older and you start to think for yourself. Cause that was the thing for me is like, I, I basically did everything I was told as a kid up until I was like my, my early twenties, I followed the rules. I was the most straight laced kid. And it wasn't even just like, but straight laced. It was just, I, I didn't think for myself. It was whatever I was told. I just did it. And I didn't think about anything, which is well, well, these older people know more than I do. So I just need to, I just need to accept that as what's true. And then the older I got, I'm like, oh, this, this isn't true at all. Or there might be some validity to it, but I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to have my own thoughts. And then that's why I started to get back into baseball again about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, I started watching it more. I still don't like have a team that I root for, but I enjoy, I enjoy just like watching baseball. I did. And then I kind of got out of the loop again. I was watching with my son who's, who's eight now. So when he was a newborn, first two years of his life or so we would watch it. And because I had nothing else going on, I was, I was bored on my mind, but I kind of fell back in love with at least watching it by myself. And then, you know, life gets busy. I started doing this and I just stopped watching baseball just because, you know, and it does, it does become slower. It does become a little bit more boring. And I'm not just trying to repeat what everybody else says. It just, it, that's, that's the vibe that I got. And I don't know if the pitch count or the, the, the pitch clock is going to really change the way that I digest baseball. And that's, what's going to like draw me back in. But to go off the story and get back to the main topic is this world baseball classic seemed to have kind of rejuvenated a fan base. And it, the storyline of Otani versus Trout is probably the most compelling part. It's obviously, it's also the last thing that we saw and because they're teammates and because they're widely respected as two of the best current baseball players, on the same team, but that franchise is dog. That's, that's what kind of makes it. I don't know if that's going to help. Like that's, that's, that's my point though, is I don't know if it's going to stay because it's not like these two guys are on a well-run organization who are, it's not like they're on the Dodgers or the Braves or like any team that's won a championship in the last 10 years. They're not on a relevant baseball team. If they were the impact, at least in the United States would probably be a little bit more like you probably see a bigger uptick in American Americans watching baseball because baseball really is more of a regional sport. I'm not saying that people across the country don't watch it, but it, it is absolutely more regional than national. So had this been on a more relevant franchise, I think it probably would have moved the needle a bit more as far as what we're actually going to see. Now the over the top reactionary thing is of course, it's going to be good for baseball. Look at, look at how many people watched it across the world. Yeah, but that's across the world. Americans in our attention span 
opening day hasn't even started yet. And I don't even know if we're going to be talking about this in a week and a half. To be completely honest with you, I don't know if we're even going to bring it up again. But by all accounts, it was a great tournament, it sounds like. And what you had at the very end was strictly Hollywood. That is, that's script written, basically. You know, that's what it feels like. Otani versus Trout, teammates, two of the best in the game, full count. Otani gets a swing and a miss and a crazy slider. The only reason why I know this is because I watched sports there this morning. Cause again, I didn't watch it. I was working yesterday too. So like, but the hype behind it seems like it was worth the watch and I am bummed that I missed on it. And I think that what I'm going to be doing this year is probably be watching a little bit more angels baseball than usual because the, the thing went through my mind. So I've got the group chat set up with two of my buddies who have been on the show beforehand, Matt Zabrowski and Philip Thomas. They're, they're two of my better friends that I've never met before through the social media platforms. Like they're two of the best people that I know. So we're in this group chat together and we're talking about they're, they're like live, basically live tweeting the game to me while I'm working. And I don't really respond until like, it's basically over. And they're giving me the the play by play. And they're like, Oh, that slider by Otani was nasty strikeout game over. And my response was trout's on the phone right now, trying to trade Otani, <laughs> you know, which I know isn't the case, but the dynamic between those two going forward, I think is going to be really interesting. I don't think there's going to be any like bad blood between them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to do that, but I think it's going to be interesting just to see how those two kind of interact because they are teammates on a largely a bad club, but they're two of the biggest names in the sport. Along with the fact that you just got struck out and lost the world baseball championship for America. Like, I don't know if that really, that's the other thing too is does that even matter to anybody? I remember this was back in the mid nineties. There was a world cup tournament. I think it was a guy for Columbia who had an own goal and got shot in a bar because a guy bid, you know, ba- or he, he wagered basically his life savings. And because of that player, I forget his name, but was shot in a bar and killed because of a known goal. Like we just don't care about baseball the way that other countries care about soccer, you know? So that's why I'm saying, I don't know if, and I, I hope it never gets to that point. That's not, that's not my point. It was just, we don't take it to that extreme with baseball we do with football and sometimes basketball because we've seen people get death threats over fantasy sports football is one of those things where i can actually see somebody doing something ridiculous about that because i've used this example a couple of times when it comes to matt schaub when he had that really bad run when he was with the texans that he had a pick six which felt like he had won every game for two straight seasons and there were people like camped outside of his house just waiting for him to come outside and it's like yo that is some like, what are we doing with that? You got to have more things and better things to do with your life and camp outside someone's home. Who's who, like the only thing that you guys have in common is he plays football in your town. Like this is, it's, it's such a ridiculous notion that we've got to go take into to that extreme based on a poor performance. But anyway, so do I think the world baseball classic saved baseball in America? No, not necessarily. Cause I don't know as Americans, we really care that deeply about baseball. Now, we might see an uptick initially, but I believe it really has more to do with how long will they keep this in the news cycle? Because if they if they continue to lean into it until opening day and keep it relevant, you might still see an, you know, an uptick in, in, in ratings or you know, however you want to quantify it. Because again, our, our attention span is so short, we're already moving on to other things that will this even be a talking point once opening day comes? So if they can keep it really in the news cycle and keep that momentum of this storyline? Maybe. 
but it's going to take that team more specifically just because of these two players being involved in that particular isolated moment that if they're better, that story can continue and it builds the narrative of, Oh, we'll see how much the world baseball classic means. We have two teammates in this particular scenario and it it kindled and it revitalized a a franchise. Like that's what they're going to run with if the angels are good. And that's what the angels need. They need to be good this year. And that's what baseball needs. Baseball needs the angels to be good for all of this to continue circulating going forward. Ain't no party like a West Coast party because a West Coast party don't stop. That popped in my head during the commercial break because I went ahead and popped onto my phone, was scrolling through the socials. And I've been saying for like, this is basically a code that I live by when it comes to professional sports is you are who you are until you aren't who you are anymore. And I use, I put the team names in there. So like right now, the Jets are the Jets until the Jets aren't the Jets no more. And now maybe this is a move because they really are trying to get Aaron Rodgers. The thing that I've been saying is that the Jets are doing all of these things because they think that they're getting Aaron Rodgers. And and Jets fans are losing their mind already talking about the Super Bowl because they're getting Aaron Rodgers when you don't know if that's even going to happen yet. And we go back and forth of what is the narrative that you believe. I brought this up. The, uh, the last episode is, which narrative do you believe? Do you believe that Aaron Rodgers just doesn't want to work with young wide receivers or that he just doesn't want to work anymore besides just like when the regular season comes around? The Jets traded Elijah Moore to the Browns and all you had to give up was him in a third? You got a second back, but the, the Browns didn't give up anything to get this dude just a second round pick and you still got a third anyways. The Jets are the Jets until the Jets aren't the Jets no more because this one, if they made this move because they're like, well, we'll get a, we'll get a veteran wide receiver. We'll just go ahead and do that. That'll get Aaron here. We don't even know if Rogers is actually showing up. And the reason why I'm more skeptical now than I ever have been. And it's not that I don't think that he's going to play again in green Bay. I, I don't really know. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know definitively what's going to happen, but he absolutely over the Jets and himself by coming out publicly saying that he wants to play for the Jets because there was always a little bit of skepticism. There was always a little bit of, there's no way he's going to leave 50 plus million dollars on the table, right? He's not going to retire. He's not going to go back to the Packers either though, right? He hates it there, but he's not going to go to the Jets. So at the Jets, that was only one year. And he said he hates playing with young wide receivers. Why would he go do that? That's all they have there is young talent. So which one is it? But when you come out and you say publicly, I want to play for the Jets, man, if there was a negotiation that was really close to being done between those two teams, you completely just f***ed over New York. Because now they know how much you apparently want to be there. And that is going to have to drive up what they're going to have to give up to go get you. Or because there's egos involved in this when it comes, you you may not think that there is, you may not think that it actually plays into it, but when there's any type of negotiation whatsoever, your ego does get put into play. And I can't remember the last time that I've ever witnessed in the world of business, somebody not trying to take advantage of the other person. There's very little times where we say, you know what, both teams won that trade. Or just the fact that you're looking for both sides to win. No, you, as in the negotiation, you are trying to win that transaction. And the Jets 
probably thought that they had something lined up where they were going to win that transaction. With Aaron Rodgers saying this, the Packers, if they were inclined to want to trade him beforehand, are not now. And the only way that they're going to give him up is to get more because now the ego is affected now. And if you don't think that NFL owners have egos, I don't know how to save you. Daniel Snyder is literally turning down $7 billion because he doesn't want to sell to Jeff Bezos. You don't think that ego has anything to do with that? Because I know that it does. But the Jets doing this, what's the purpose of it? There might be a bigger scheme on this. There might be a bigger plan. Maybe they really do have. But what if they're making this move because what they they give up? Elijah Moore and a third. You have a second rounder now. Maybe the second rounder is what they're using as the collateral to flip to go get Rodgers. Maybe that was the missing piece. Maybe because Rodgers said, I do want to play for the Jets. Now you need more ammunition, like I was just talking about. There was probably something in place tentatively, but because of Rodgers doing that, setting the market back even further for for New York, now, now we got to do something else. I don't know if that's the case, but it's the only thing that really makes sense to me in the moment if Rodgers is still the plan. But this just goes back to, man, he was one of the, the young bright spots, right? He was one of the skill position guys that you were excited about if you were to get Aaron. Now you have to be able to go replenish that guy on a rookie deal to get the same type of production. Or again, maybe your whole plan is we're just going to get older guys that Aaron likes. But the Jets are going to be the Jets until the Jets aren't the Jets no more. All right, let's go on to more positive stuff because I really do like what Houston's doing. D'Amico Ryan is right now being set up really well for the future. But one thing I've said on the show before is I I have no idea if he's going to be a good head coach. Just because you're a good coordinator doesn't mean you're going to be a great coach. Everything kind of has to fall in line for your team's success because we see so many coordinators under certain coaching trees that once they get these opportunities, they fail because you think you're getting some kind of reincarnation of the head coach when that's not at all the scenario that you're coming into. So because he comes from that Shanahan tree, even though he's not the offensive minded coach, Salah was the D coordinator there and then went to the Jets. Now it's D'Amico is going to Houston. So I don't know what head coach you're getting, but you're in a much better position now than you were over the last year and a half to two years. That's for damn sure. Because today they went ahead and added Denzel Perryman for the defensive side of the football at the linebacker spot. Then earlier this week, I believe it was, I believe it was earlier this week, they went and signed Dalton Schultz, tied in for the Dallas Cowboys over the last few seasons, former Buffalo Bill running back Devin Singletary, which I think was a very underutilized player in Buffalo because they just don't run the ball. He's been there for a number of years. He has almost 4,000 yards. Both Schultz and Singletary are there on one-year deals. But between him and Damian Pierce, you're probably going to be running the football quite a bit anyways because you're kind of you're kind of lacking some skill at the wide receiver position and at the quarterback position. So unless they address those two things, those two guys are probably going to get quite a bit of burn. And then they re-signed uh, Laramie Tunsil. They went and got Sheldon Rankins for the defensive line. Robert Woods, who I've always liked his toughness, third down conversions. The dude's like an absolute technician as a route runner. I love Robert Woods. And I was so bummed to see him leave Buffalo a number of years ago, but he's getting older He's coming off a pretty serious injury as well, but it's another move that I think adds depth at the wide receiver position. 
uh, along with kind of that veteran locker room presence, which I don't usually try to put too much spin on that. And that might just be me being a little bit more of a homer because I, I, I've always liked him. I've always liked this game and him being a former Buffalo Bill who actually was worth something. You know, it's not his fault that he had EJ Manuel as his quarterback for the first few years of his career. Uh, they also added Jimmy Ward and the, for the secondary case Keenan, which I don't think is a great move. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that he's somebody that they need, but he started in this league. He's a quality backup. He's 35. So he's up there in age, but you know, if you need him to come in there and, and play some spot football for you, he can. I just think that they've made a lot of really good moves over the past week, week and a half. But what does it all mean though, right? What we love to do when it comes to any team that was struggling one year and they start making these types of moves, we try to analyze, well, are they going to be a playoff team this year? So short answer is no. And it's not necessarily because I think so highly of Jacksonville. Now on paper, they do seem to be the best offense in that division. And that it, if we're just talking about offensively, I don't even think it's really close because Tennessee's basically blowing this thing up and Indy doesn't have a wide receiver that's worth a damn. They might be looking to trade uh, Jonathan Taylor as well. So on paper, Jacksonville looks like the clear cut favorite to win the division again, but I don't know if I'm going to get the same Jacksonville team. It, It would lead you to believe that you would given more experience, having been to the playoffs this year, you would imagine that you would take all of those things, wrap it up, and then repeat as division champ. But it was a one-time sample size. I know that Urban Meyer had a lot to do with the failures two years ago. But I, I don't know. I don't know. It's still Jacksonville. It's, I can just go right back to the Jags and the Jags until the Jags and the Jags no more. Prove it to me again this year, and then maybe I'll believe that you're actually one of the better football teams, especially in your conference. But the AFC is stacked with teams and quarterbacks. And that's more my point of like why I don't think Houston's going to make it to the playoffs this year because this isn't like the NBA where playoff seeding is determined by just your overall record. It happened this past year. It hasn't happened very often. But even as of this past year with the Bucs, we saw a team with a losing record host a playoff game. So for me with Houston, if you take the other AFC, the other AFC teams out, right? The North, West, and East. Any three teams that you want, if you don't beat out Jacksonville for that spot, you have to compete with, what, 12 other teams for three other spots. Because there's seven teams, four division winners, so you got three teams left over fighting for the additional 12 spots. Are the Texans going to be better than the Bills and or Dolphins? Probably not. Are they going to be better than the Bengals and or Steelers and or Browns and or Ravens? Nope, nope, nope. Are they going to be better than the Chiefs and or Raiders, maybe, or the Broncos, maybe. We'll see how that season turns around. Um, or the Chargers, probably not. Like there's there's two of those, you gotta beat out it's somewhere in the top three of those other teams. And I just don't see it happening for Houston, especially this year. If they can have another good free agency next year, another good draft, maybe. Cause I don't fully 100% believe in Jacksonville. So in the long and short of it, no, I don't think they're a playoff team this year. And it's going to take quite a bit of luck for them to be one, even in the next two years, because the AFC is just so, so incredibly stupid stacked with quarterbacks. And that's what's driving all of these teams. And that's what drives the NFL largely. Now I'm not saying it can't be done because we've seen teams be competitive and relevant 
Without absolutely bonkers quarterback play, right? Like we've seen it with Dallas is still being good because their defense has been opportunistic and solid over the past two years. We've seen it with San Francisco, same thing. Uh, there are teams we, we saw with Jacksonville with the Blake Bortles year. Like there, it can be done if your defense is incredibly good, you don't turn the ball over and you can just minimize your mistakes. Now, it doesn't mean that you are probably going to be a favorite to win anything, because the way that I've seen this, I've, I've said this a couple times, is close games matter when when you're when you're winning football games and you're winning them close. Some people tell you that's the that's the definition of how you know you have a good football team is when you win the close games. I say yes, but with the caveat: if all you're winning is close games, you're not a good football team. You are a mediocre, run of the mill, average NFL team, which there isn't anything necessarily wrong with that. But just because you're winning close games does not mean that you are a winner by definition. In the win column, you are, but not long-term and not really in the eyes of, of fans who understand what it takes to win championships. Because the other thing, too, that it kind of blows my mind, I'm getting a little off topic, and we're kind of done with Houston talking anyways for the moment. What I'll, what I'll segue to is it's weird because with the Giants, they were winning close games, but we thought more of them this year than we did the Vikings, even though the Vikings were doing basically the exact same thing, but it was because, Oh, we don't trust Kirk cousins, but for whatever reason, we've changed the narrative where we trust Daniel Jones more. And I don't understand that whatsoever, but those two teams were kind of winning similar fashions, right? A lot of one score games of God, Minnesota was winning every game by two or three points. It felt like, but that's my point is that winning close games just means that you are just like every other team in the NFL. You have, if you don't have the ability to beat the brakes off some to like half of the teams, of the NFL, you aren't considered elite. That's why when I look at teams like Cincinnati this year, because Cincinnati has proven to me that this is going to be a good football team. I was skeptical of them last year. This seems like this is going to be a good football team going forward. Now in the next couple of years, that's going to be interesting because you are going to have to pay Burrow and Chase and Higgins. Like you're going to have to pay these other monster guys who are a huge part of your success. So we'll see how long it continues, but at least for the next two or three years, I think that Cincinnati is going to be good. Then Buffalo is still going to be that way. It's just, there, there are certain teams that you look at Phillies kind of put themselves in that, in that space as well of they can absolutely manhandle you because their offensive is that good. And their defense is that good, but those are good football teams. Everybody else is just merp. And that's kind of where we land at with Minnesota and and, and the Giants, and that's why I don't think that these two football teams are any good. And I'm going on another tangent, another ramble. But winning close games is it's not like an art and a skill unless you make deep runs in the playoffs and it's become your identity, it's become part of who you are. That's why nobody trusted Minnesota last year. That's why nobody, I don't think, still even trusts the Giants. That really is my my larger argument for people to say, well, they win close games. Like you're finding a way to win. Yeah. Like that's still important. Don't get me wrong. It is. It's an important part of the game because you play to win the game. But if all you're doing is winning by one and two points, it just further, it further concretes my argument that the NFL is always going to be comprised of three, great three and everybody else is just mediocre. Now the teams recycle, but that's still the formula basically. So we're just about ready to hang it up for today's episode. There's a couple of quick topics I want to get to. 
Before we do, once again, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Make sure to tell your friends, hide your kids, hide your wives. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Uh, I don't understand why Daniel Jones is getting so much love. Now, it's easy. And the reason why I'm saying this is about two months ago or so, I, I said I was going to start a segment called Dumb as I Read on the Internet this week. But then I just realized that's there's way too many things and I, I just can't. I can't do just one because I would do just a show based on dumb I've read on the internet this week. But one of the things I try to do is defend certain people or certain players in certain scenarios. So like bears fans, they know that I've defended them quite a bit because they get a lot of heat for how, how'd you miss on Mahomes? And I'm like, well, no, the real tragedy is you trading up to get Trubisky. It's not missing on Mahomes because even after getting Trubisky, he still fell to 10 and they traded with the bills to go up to get him. So I give Chicago fans when, when people are clowning on bears fans because of that one, it's not like they made the move, you know, Ryan Pace is an idiot who did that, but I defend bears fans. I'm like, this isn't your fault, man. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And in this particular scenario, I'm actually going to defend Baker Mayfield because I've seen some pretty dumb things and Baker Mayfield is obviously an easy target because he's had a lot of commercials and the Browns didn't have a whole lot of success. And I'm not completely 100% defending him because I've even been on the show and say, you know, when I saw that he was supposed to be the number one overall pick, when he was number one overall pick, I woke up that morning on draft day and go, <laughs> you guys kidding me, Baker. Okay. I don't feel like he's quite as bad as what people make him out to be, but I didn't feel like he was worth the number one overall pick. But again, that's not me making the pick. But when Daniel Jones was selected, I can't believe the Giants took Daniel Jones. It blows my mind. Some people overthink it. Uh, that's where people go wrong. They forget that they've got to win. So, of course, after Daniel Jones basically just completely just robs the New York Giants blind, people want to bring up that particular quote from Baker Mayfield because the Giants extended Baker, uh, extended Daniel Jones for 160 mil and Baker is on a what, eight and a half million dollar deal and a one-year deal. And it's his fourth team. Okay, so once again, I'm not defending necessarily Baker Mayfield, but I am more defending, he's not wrong. The Giants were still wrong to pick Daniel Jones. The Giants were even more wrong to sign Daniel Jones to an extension. I certainly wouldn't have done it. I didn't realize that throwing for less than one touchdown a game was worth $40 million a year in the NFL. I'm sorry. Make that make sense to me. So your criticism, if you want to say Baker, haha, this is your fourth team and you were the number one overall pick. The thing is that he's still playing. And that's always been kind of my argument as well. Is that if you're the first overall pick, you are never going to run out of chances. Never. This situation is probably his best situation given the teams that he's played for and the overall talent that he's had to play for. Now, I'm not sure if it's going to translate to any real winning, but he's had a pretty rough go of it with offensive coordinators and head coaches. Stefanski, I think, is obviously the best head coach that he's had. Well, I don't even know because he's he's played for McVay, but that was just a handful of games, so it's hard to really quantify that as far as a career uh, and how to put that into perspective. But as much as it is easy to bag on Baker because of all the things I listed before him being the number one overall pick, having on the commercials and you know, it's 
it also again comes back to well who are you going to blame you're going to blame him people want to blame obj but then when obj leaves it's all about baker and then obj wins the ring like it's all it all again lies on who do you want to side with like are you team baker or are you team obj are you team browns or are you team baker like it just it just depends on who you want to hate on but on this specific one i guess i'm 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 somewhat defending baker mayfield because even though he's the one on the one-year prove-it deal, the Giants are still idiots for picking Daniel Jones and giving him an extension. Both both of those things can be right. It can be somewhat hilarious about the downfall of Baker Mayfield if you are if you if that's the if that's the path that you choose is to break down Baker Mayfield. If you want to go that route, you can. You can be within your right. But he's also correct that the Giants just completely f- this thing up. Now, before we get out of here, last thing, I was thinking about this in real time after I was I got done with the the Jets portion. And I'm thinking about all of these things. And now with the Jets having as much cap, or not really cap, but as far as draft capital, I had mentioned, you know, maybe that's maybe that was the missing piece. Maybe the Packers were like, yeah, we'll give you Rodgers. But like I said, you know, maybe we're missing that piece, and maybe this was the piece that they needed to make the move to get the second rounder to add into the equation. And that's still most likely the scenario. But what if they're doing all this because, like, man, instead of having to pay Aaron Rodgers all that money, and instead of getting a quarterback who's almost 40, and instead of getting the prima donna who completely just backdoor us because he made it known that he wants to play here. What if we just go trade up for the number one overall pick and go get CJ Stroud? Why don't we just go ahead and do that? We'll just basically restart the clock on another young quarterback. I still think that Rodgers is a more likely scenario just because of how publicly he's made it and how publicly it's been that New York wants him. I just feel like Aaron made it more messy for them to have, for, for them to be able to make this transaction happen but what if that's the case too? What if Rodgers has mucked this thing up so badly that New York is about ready to wash their hands from him? Hmm? Just saying. Something to think about. All right, you guys know the drill. You guys can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, make sure to tell your friends, hide your kids, hide your wives. Also, as always, stay up, stay blessed, and we will catch you guys on the next one.